Welcome to the Much More Than Medicare podcast. We keep going on interviews, and today my guest is Susan M. She is an immigration lawyer. She helps employers when people want to immigrate into the United States with green card and visa matters. She's the person to go to. We talk about COVID and how much her life and what she does changes as a result of the pandemic. Before we get started, don't forget GH2 Unfiltered, the place for Medicare ABCs, the masterclass version. I'll send you a copy of the book for free, postage paid anywhere in the lower 48. On to Susan. Hope you enjoy. Today we got a special guest. It's Susan M., who is an immigration lawyer. She is the head of a firm called M. Law, based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And not coincidentally, she is my friend of decades. Now, I guess we're aging ourselves to, <laughs> to, to, to say we've known each other for decades is tells you that you know, we're, we're not children anymore, I guess. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I think it goes back to U of M days because your sister is a good friend of mine. That, that's right. And actually, I think that in fact, our parents knew each other before we knew each other. They did. Uh, yeah. I think that's, I'm uh, pretty that's, sure. Like the Korean network in the state of Michigan. In the state of Michigan. But Very now we're all grown up, or at least you are. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're the head of a firm called Imla. How long have you been in existence? So Imla has been in existence since January of 2011. Okay. So when we officially launched it. And before that, I was with a variety of different firms, big and small, um, but but Imla was birthed in January of 2011. Your specialty, your area of expertise, is specifically you know immigration law. Is that right? That is correct. That's all we do is inbound U.S. immigration law. So I I usually tell people I'm I'm an immigration geek and I'm not really good for much more. So when they want to ask me questions about family law or contracts, <laughs> real estate, corporate merger acquisitions, I'm no good. But on but immigration law, law we know what we're doing. Gotcha. So generally speaking, why don't you tell us about immigration law in the sense that, you know, we have other areas of law, elder law, estate, estate planning, we had and an elder law attorney, you know, last time here on, you know, this channel, seems like the laws might be different, meaning that different in scope and scale, you're a national, is this a national set of, you know, requirements and regulations, or is it state specific? How does that work out? So U.S. immigration law, Jay, is generally, it's governed by federal law. So it is not governed by states, individual states, it's federal uh, immigration law. So for us, we can represent clients from uh, throughout the nation and really around the world. We're not limited to to clients only in the state of Michigan. We do have to be licensed in a state um, and there are other considerations, but 
Yes, federal immigration law. Federal immigration law. And now, is this largely as a result of, or meaning that literally today I received an email and I'm going to, before, we're going to return back to immigration law in just a few moments, but really talking about going across borders. And now we have, you know, we live in a world of pandemic, one that doesn't seem like it's going to fade away. It's not going to magically disappear. Somebody tried to tell us this, um, you know, a, a little bit ago, not very long ago, that it would just magically disappear. Pandemic actually isn't. Is crossing state borders in a COVID world different than prior to COVID? I mean, are there other restrictions? I mean, you got to have a passport, obviously, but you know, I'm hearing that even if I want to travel for leisure, or is this completely different from anything that you deal with? Are you talking about state to state within the United States? Or are you talking about no across across internationally? Great, because I was wondering, Jay, why are you asking me that? <laughs> right. Yes, we can talk about that. Uh, travel has been drastically affected by the COVID pandemic. Okay. It, it affects virtually all of our clients, um, especially because we represent multinational companies who have foreign national employees that are either outside the United States and need to get back to work in the US or they are in the US and need to travel to the parent company abroad or need to travel abroad for personal reasons. Um, maybe because the pandemic has kept them from seeing family or going to significant family events. And so how it has been, um, sorry, I screwed up. How the pandemic has affected international travel uh, is really the result of travel bans put into effect largely by the Trump administration, but some of the travel bans continued by the Biden administration based on the pandemic. And so we're talking about the Schengen area, Jay. We're talking about the UK, Ireland, China, Iran, Brazil, South Africa. If an individual, a foreign national has been present in one of those areas in the last 14 days, they can't enter the US um, unless they are granted what's known as a national interest exception or they fall under an exemption of that travel ban. They're, they're a spouse of a US citizen, for instance, or um, a child of a US citizen. So let me ask you there, just so that's inbound from a foreign country into the United States, based on where they originated, there could be a restriction basically is what sounds like. That's, that's right. If you were physically present in one of those areas that I described, mm -hmm. even if you're not a citizen or national of one of those countries, you're banned from coming in the U.S. unless you fall under an exception or uh, you get a national interest exception. Um, so there are certain exemptions to the bans and then there's something called a national interest exception that you can apply for uh, with the U.S. consulate abroad. And they, sometimes they grant them, sometimes they don't. So United, what if they're a U.S. citizen? So now I'm a U.S. citizen. I, I'm always Real. curious about this. You're a U.S. Yeah, citizen. You're, you're fine, Jay. You and I, we're fine because we're U.S. citizens. If you're a U.S. citizen or green card holder, you're exempt from these travel bans. But if you're a foreign national that doesn't, that isn't covered by one of the exemptions or doesn't get a national interest exception, you cannot enter the country at this time. 
there is something else you can do. And we have advised some clients to do this who they just don't have the time to wait to try to go through right. a national interest sure. exception process um, that, that we assist clients with regularly is you can go to a non-band country like Mexico or Turkey and stay there for a minimum of 14 days and then travel to the United States because now you get around having been present for 14 days in one of the banned countries. So basically take a trip to Mexico. What about the and other way around? So now you want to go, you want to go to another country. You're from the mm -hmm. United States. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, you go there. Are there travel restrictions for us now? I mean, I heard what Canada just opened its borders, you know, for car travel, you know, the other day. But if you want to travel to another country, let's just call it Turkey, just for example, are there have those countries, as far as you know, or have they asked you those individuals or companies asked you, okay, what are their employees or individuals supposed to do in preparation for that kind of travel if you're from the United States and going to another country? Yeah, so we have not gotten involved with that because then it would it would involve having to know foreign countries, immigration laws, and we are only US inbound immigration experts. So what, what I could share with you would only be colloquial, like what we've learned kind of just hearing from clients. For sure. instance, I, it's a nightmare apparently to go to Australia right now. There are very strict quarantine requirements and it's a nightmare trying to get out of Australia. Heard similar about New Zealand, um, and I think there are other countries to add to that list, but it's not part of U.S. immigration law, so we we don't give advice on that. How worried are you? Because, like, if I mean, ultimately, your client is really the employer, right? I mean, you're the employer's, you know, retaining you to help, you know, with new employee X, and they come into the United States, they go back home, and then pandemic rages or you know there's another you know uptick in cases etc cetera, etc cetera, and new restrictions get erected how worried is sue susan i guess i should go should say how how worried is susan about this or those types of scenarios today yeah we're we're always concerned we're always concerned i try not to worry <laughs> but i definitely get concerned because it's not it's not going away anytime soon, this with the rise of the Delta variant and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. We had hoped that by now, the travel bans for the UK, for instance, uh, for we've got a lot of executives coming from UK, sure. executives and, and, and um, other foreign national valued employees coming from Germany. And, and we would have thought that by now, the, the bans might be lifted. And we, we sort of hoped that the Biden administration would have, have done that. But because of the concern of COVID and, and the Delta variant, those bans remain in place. So um, yeah, it's concerning that there could be additional countries added. India, India was, was added fairly recently um, because of the spikes there. So I mean, we're always concerned about it. We're always monitoring to see, okay, what are the developments that are taking place? But then our job, Jay, is to try to find solutions. So we can't control any of it. Right, that's true. So, but what we can control is, okay, uh, how how can we try to get that person here? They're covered by the ban. What are the options? What are the relevant questions to ask the client? 
um, you know, could they possibly qualify for a national interest exception? Are they, you know, an executive that's providing vital support to a critical infrastructure sector, or are they a, a foreign national that's uh, maybe providing executive direction that for significant economic activity in the U.S. That's something that could potentially qualify as a national interest exception. Um, and there are sometimes some surprising occupations that we've gotten um, approved for national interest exceptions. It's not just the top executives. Interesting. So you've touched in on you know a number of countries, and if I'm back up, or if you will, just change our focus slightly. Generally speaking, has as far as you can tell, it's kind of strange, right? Because we've had both an executive executive branch change, as well as you know, at the same time as a pandemic. So I'm trying to separate out the two. You know, we've talked about the pandemic, uh, and you know, it's a quite specific type of you know ripple effects, if you will. Generally speaking, if we did not have the pandemic, and we do, so I know it's you know a, a little bit difficult to tell. But from your perspective, uh, your you know legal perspective, has the environment for you know immigration into the United States for employees of these com- these country of these companies in these countries, has it gotten any easier? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Setting aside the travel bans that have not gone away with right. the Biden administration, right, and the fact that we have to apply for these challenging national interest exceptions still, um, setting that aside, has it gotten easier? I would say it has not gotten a lot easier yet. It, it, the climate at USCIS, which is the agency that that decides work visa petitions and green card applications. Um, a lot of reasons why it hasn't gotten easier. Some of it related to the pandemic, processing backlogs are still awful. Um, you, you don't even wanna know what some of the, the processing and waiting times are for folks um, who are waiting either for an employment-based green card or family-based green card process to come to fruition. And if they're outside the country, you know they could be waiting two, three years for an interview at a US consulate. Two to three years. Two to three years um, for an interview because of the largely related impacts on getting interviews scheduled. But that aside, just the climate for adjudicating business-based petitions, um, there have been some policies that have have been put in place by Biden that we, we welcome. But it's not a drastic change yet. It's not, you know, poof overnight. All our problems are solved. All the frustrations that we've had with USCIS have completely, you know, been eliminated. Nothing like that. But I guess if I was to look on the positive side, some of the policies that are, are very good that the Biden administration has has put into place or reinstated. For instance, we used to have Jay a deference policy, a deference memorandum. And what does said, that mean? It basically directed the agency that if the if it had approved an application for that particular employer, let's just say it's an employer-based petition, okay. um, the past and approved it, and now you're filing for an extension of that employer's 
the work visa status for that employer's foreign national employee. The agency should give some deference to the prior approval because under the Trump administration, it completely eliminated the deference memo. So you would have to start over or? You still have to file a petition, but now USCIS has to give some deference, pay attention to the fact that it did approve that individual in the past, as opposed to under the Trump administration, when the deference memo was taken away, they didn't have to give any, you know, there was just no deference given to the prior approval. There was no benefit to that employer having received an approval for that employee in the past, especially if facts have largely unchanged, the law has not changed. Why on earth would the agency not give some deference to the fact that it doesn't mean it's a rubber stamp, but so, so that is a positive change. Biden has brought, the Biden administration has brought back deference memo. There have been a couple of other things Um, in the business immigration arena. We had um, a, a memorandum that that basically clarified certain occupations qualified for H-1B status, which is one of the most popular. Work and for, for, me, for people like me, you know, who know very little H-1B. Yeah, H-1B. Sure. So I know it sounds like a virus. <laughs> it's not. It is a work visa status for professionals where the employer is offering a position that requires the minimum of a bachelor's degree or higher in a specific field or fields of study. And then the foreign national must possess that particular degree in those specific fields. There's a few other requirements. There's wage requirements, Jay. Won't go into too much detail, but essentially under the Trump administration, President Trump issued an executive order. Um, we call it BAHA. It, it was that was the um, the acronym, but essentially it was um, that stood for Buy American, Hire American, and the whole point of the memo was under the guise of protecting U.S. workers was to really try to target the H-1B visa program and make it extremely difficult for employers to be able to access H-1B foreign national workers, and and it did the job. There, there, were, there was a huge spike in the number of denials of H-1Bs when Baja, that executive order was issued. There was a dramatic increase in, the, in requests for evidence. Those are thorns in the side of immigration professionals. We hate requests for evidence. It's essentially the, uh, the agency saying, mm, we see what you submitted and we don't think it's good enough please prove to us why you think this petition should be approved. We don't think it's an H-1B specialty occupation. We don't think you're paying the foreign national enough, all sorts of things. And so huge impact of President Trump's executive order, the Baja executive order on the H-1B program. Companies like Microsoft and companies like Google, they rely on the H-1B program because they, they hire U.S. workers, right? We know this, but then they have other needs. They have to supplement with the immigration, the H-1B program, and then we have the clients we represent, same thing. Um, They largely turn to U.S. immigration to help supplement the workforce because they can't hire enough U.S. workers uh, to fill the positions that they have open. Is it your view, and you're seeing one particular perspective here, and we see these, especially in today's day and age where while employment isn't as as high a level as it was pre, prior to the pandemic, 
we still have help wanted for this, that, and the other, you know, everywhere, it seems like. For the per persons looking for the highly skilled class of persons that you're kind of referring to by from sponsored by their employers, is that much different from Susan's chair five years ago, 10 years ago? Is it different today? So you're saying is the demand for these yeah, workers different? Exactly. Today the, is the demand ago? larger, smaller? Has anything really changed or just the way that it gets administered, you know, kind of has been changed and moved around a bit? Just that's curious. A, that's a great question. I mean, we have certainly grown and we're fortunate, uh, definitely blessed to have grown during the pandemic. And that is largely because the clients and, and we have one particular client that got busier during the pandemic and continues to be busier. And there were a lot of factors. It wasn't really just the pandemic that caused a boost in their particular business. They were already on that trajectory, that upward trajectory, if you will. But um, I would say that part of it is we're busier because we've grown. Um, part of it is the particular clients that we have. I think that certain clients in the healthcare sector and clients in certain manufacturing sectors, especially, um, those that need the, the engineers, right? Um, the various type of software developers, the various type of robotics engineers and various types of manufacturing engineers that they need to continue to grow their business. They're hiring, you know, all the STEMs graduating from US colleges, universities that they can, but they're, they're competing, right? With, the, with other companies for these sure. grants. And so, yeah, I feel like there are a lot of factors that have, contributed to why, why it feels busier now. I think you raise a really good point, Jay, that it also is feels busier because the USCIS created more busy work for us. Okay. Right? They created more busy work by issuing, you know, more requests for evidence, despite submissions being fairly thorough, not just from law firms like us, but from law firms nationwide. Um, USCIS just creating busy work, partly as a result of those policies that were in place under the Trump administration, some of them taken away by Biden, some of them still in place, right? And then the busy work of, oh my gosh, you know, they need this executive here yesterday. And where's the executive? Of course, in one of the banned countries. And so we're doing a lot of national interest exception applications and arguments with US consulates abroad. And that that is fairly time consuming and a lot of calls and advising clients on these kind of emergency situations. So it's kind of hard to separate, um, but definitely um, I think it seems like the employers we're all working with um, are growing and, and busy. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, and I think a lot of them turn to the US immigration system to supplement their workforce. They don't have, we don't represent any of those Indian consulting companies where their majority of their workforce is foreign nationals. We don't have any clients like that. The majority, all of our employers have majority US worker workforce and they're supplementing their workforce with, with foreign national employees. So it's really, it sounds like the, it's on the demand side of 
for those types of employees that really continues to go on and on and yes. not. And part of where I'm going here, Sue, is that, or Susan, I'll, I'll probably never <laughs> be able to actually correctly, you know, properly call you Susan. You know, you'll always be Sue, sorry. But, um, you know, it'd be convenient, easy to just simply say, well, it's, you know, this administration's or the, you know, the, some type of political matter, but this is, it sounds like, and don't let me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like actually there's underlying demand for that this particular class of citizens, citizens with this particular set of qualifications. And is, is it your view that, and you get this, you know, kind of talk at bars or whatever it would be, you know, overly political, you know, conversations that, well, it's because somebody's coming in here illegally and taking away a job for, from a U.S. citizen. But mm -hmm. your, your experience, your slice of the world, Susan's slice of the world, isn't that, doesn't sound like that, like, at all. Unless I'm no, wildly. No, not at all. I mean, I think in with, and like you said, it's those conversations in bars. It's conversations on soccer sidelines. I've had, a, you know, where someone discovers I'm an immigration lawyer and they, they just have a couple of things to say to me. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sure. So sometimes they're very, they're pleasant and it's fine. And other times it's not pleasant because they definitely don't want to hear what I have to say. And, um, and yet it's what we do every day. So okay, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Right? We're going to we're going to get to that. <laughs> yeah. So so with regard to you know to that, um, definitely our experience. And I mean, we have employers. Why why on earth? This is what I would tell these people. Why on earth would employers want to pay us our fees and government fees, which are thousands of dollars? The government filing fees are thousands of dollars. Why on earth would would any company willingly uh, want to add to their budget oh, if they didn't God. need? Right these workers, if they didn't need to access this foreign talent, why on earth? And, and I had a healthcare client, specifically a physical therapy recruiting company, that that uh, VP of HR you know, came in and said to me, well, we've got less than a 1% unemployment rate, less than 1% unemployment rate for physical therapists. Sector, right. It is not good for them because of course, the physical therapists graduating from US um, universities can have their pick of where they want to go. And so this particular client had openings, you know, has a need to fill um, positions that are in rural areas or Northern Michigan, maybe not desirable urban places that a lot of the grads want to be in. And surprise, surprise, U.S. grads don't want to go to those rural places. They don't want to go and they have sort of their pick of a lot. So, yeah, I mean, my, my experience has been, they don't contact us um, unless they're, they're, they do have a valued for a national employee they, they want to retain for, for good reason. It is so interesting that you actually, because of course, you know, me, everyday person didn't really think of, oh yeah, the extra cost and effort that the yeah. employer, they've got to pay your bill. Uh, That's right. Yeah. We don't do we don't do it for free. So unfortunately, yeah, they have to budget that. And and I always I ask you, why on earth would an employer want to budget? It, you know, it's so interesting. 
thousands of dollars to an attorney and thousands of dollars to a government entity, sometimes without, well, actually every time, without guarantee of an approval, right? Or with the H-1B, it's a lottery process. Sure. There were three over 300,000 H-1B foreign national beneficiaries vying for a maximum of 85,000 slots. Those are not good odds. Why on earth would they want to pay counsel and deal with those kind of odds if they didn't really need to retain these people? It's pretty interesting because you know you just use your common sense and the same thing happens to me all the time, which is somebody says, well, you know, insurance companies are colluding. I'm like, okay, we have five insurance companies with equally smart people and it's a price tie. How is it possible that it could possibly be collusion? Meaning that, you know, you just infuse one little droplet of common sense that you just did. And all of a sudden, like the soccer sideline, you know, you know, objection totally gets blown up. It's like, this is now, now it's like completely nonsensical. Like, I'm sure that you get lots of these kind of like offhand comments, like you said, like, you know, at the bar from about, you know, such a hot button topic that, you know, some, for somebody from another country is here illegally and then taking away benefits, et cetera, et cetera, and other things right. from the you know federal budget that, you know, that an American citizen is, you know, certainly entitled to and that kind of thing. But, you know, your particular part of the world is, you know, very so, so different. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I and, mean, you know, that's the one that I usually like to raise <laughs> because it hits home. It's money, you know, so people can relate to that. Sure. But I think there are other really good, really good arguments that you may have heard about, Jay, like that foreign nationals start companies and create U.S. jobs. The, the founder of Google right? That so many immigrants have been entrepreneurs, started companies, created U.S. jobs. And then there's the argument that STEM workers create U.S. jobs. Um, I can think of someone that became a permanent resident fairly recently, um, worked for one of the, <clears throat> the well-known research, nonprofit research organizations in town. And now he spun off because he's a green card holder in Ken and has a startup where he is uh, moving to, to clinical trials for a, a new way of uh, detecting cancer and treating it. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. He's literally working to save lives and he's so passionate, he can't wait till he can get to the clinical trials so he can start saving lives like now. And some of the things that he's developed, um, they're already working on in Europe, in Germany, because they're probably different protocols um, and doctors employing some of those these new techniques. And that's just, that's just fascinating to me. But that is exactly the reason why these immigrants need to stay, right? They're not only just creating jobs. And of course, you know, there's money involved with his startup, right? And there are lots of people with big money, very interested in what he's developed and have been, been investing in his particular project. But um, that, you know, he's, he's the poster child of the kind of immigrant you want to keep in the country and you don't want to subject him to multiple year backlogs where he gets so frustrated, he leaves and goes to another country and, and I, I've had the benefit of his knowledge. I, I've had this exact statement with other people that, you know, 
more highly educated than myself, which is, you know, there's no country like the United States if you're that excellent, right? I mean, if, if you're that excellent that you want to put your stake in the ground, whatever it is, and it doesn't even matter what the field is, but, you know, if in your particular instance, if they're that special, that, you know, there's no better location for the platform for the different, whether that be access to capital, and then also, you know, in addition to bouncing off ideas and being able to grow that kind of, you know, product or whatever that business line innovation would be than this country. So, you know, and of course you and I are going to be specifically biased. I mean, we, you know, our parents, both, uh, you know, both of our parents, sets of parents, you know, immigrants to this country and yes. things like that. So um, what else, if I had to step back uh, yet again, or shift gear slightly here, Anything, you know, overly optimistic or pessimistic that Susan is in your area of immigration that, you know, we're going to have these foreign, are most of these companies then, you know, what about like foreign companies being your client? Is that a big, big amount of time used at Imlaw or is that not, or are these... Is there no real way to kind of generalize? Hmm. Well, the the foreign companies do get involved with. Um, so we have usually our clients are the U.S. employers, but maybe they want to bring over a manager, executive, or, or other type of employee from a parent or affiliate or a subsidiary abroad, and that's how we get involved typically with foreign companies. But every once in a while, we do get we we are contacted by you know, the, the foreign entrepreneur that started a company has a very successful company abroad and wants to open up a new office in the US. So investors often times. Um, so then we're looking at either investor visas or we're looking at um, a transfer, to transfer visa of, um, of, a, of a, a manager and executive over to a new office where they're gonna be hiring new employees and, and managing and doing executive things here. So that's, that's how we usually get involved. But I would say that's, that's rarer than the U.S. employer hiring, finding us, hiring us, and then, and then we get to know the foreign entity. What happens when a foreign company? Because I, I see that, like you know, if I thought and put your thinking just logical hat on, you know, capital moving around the globe, incubators, you know, the soft banks of the world creating companies in different locations and then expanding, for example that you know, this is a possibility for you. Do you work with other law firms that are con connected with them or is it just generally, okay, just one law firm and then kind of on your own and then you go about your business? That's a really good question. No, we refer to other experts, other attorneys that are licensed in those various countries. So for instance, if someone has an Italian immigration issue, we've got a go-to person that we, we put our, we connect our employer client with, or if it's Germany, if it's Canada, um, it's always best in, in our opinion to put them in touch with a licensed attorney in that jurisdiction, kind of like US immigration law. Um, if, if someone was looking for an immigration lawyer, you wanna make sure that they're actually licensed, able to do what they're able to give legal advice um, under the laws of their jurisdictions. So, so we have uh, a network of people and attorneys that we, 
connect our clients with. I don't have anything else to tell the tell us how we're supposed to get a hold of you and all that good stuff. And all the all your information will of course be in the text below the video and in the podcast, you know, when it gets released. But tell us about how they're supposed to get a hold of you and all that type of good stuff. Sure. So uh, probably the easiest way is you can visit our website. It's imlaw.biz uh, that you see. Uh, at the bottom <laughs> and uh, you can you can email us directly from there you can call us you can also find us on social media Imlaw is live on Instagram Facebook Twitter LinkedIn oh, I, anything else so you're we're way way ahead of me so I'll have to I'll have to figure I, I'm still no good at any of that stuff so <laughs> it's fairly new so don't be that impressed but <laughs> yeah we started off and then we ended up, I ended up hiring a marketing company to help me out. So yeah, and they largely come to me for content, but they are the ones that put it out there, which is nice. There's you, there's a couple of other attorneys. Is that right? That are, that, that right. work, work for you? Yes. It's me. Uh, we have another attorney, Brian Mick, who's been with me a very long time. He's excellent. And then um, we're about to hire another very seasoned employment-based immigration attorney. She will work remotely for us, but she's somebody that I've known a long time and I will wait to disclose her name until she's officially with us on September 1. And then we also have a paralegal, Jesse Zamudio. We have a senior legal assistant, Dominic Baroni, and we have um, a legal assistant, Nirma Hasovic, and a billing and accounting billing specialist, Lito Esquivel. So we are six strong and um, we love what we do. Thanks so much, Sue. And oh yeah, by the way, can you like help out our football team? You can send somebody some cash for the uh, likeness because uh, we're going <laughs> to be in trouble for quite a say? <laughs> Michigan football has been sucking. <laughs> I, th I think we're in trouble for the foreseeable future. <laughs> That's probably why I haven't been watching, honestly. <laughs> I've been watching more soccer. That's where my boys play. And yeah, I haven't really watched. I haven't really paid attention. Have we been doing really badly? Uh, yeah, and now, now since the players get 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 paid, I'm not sure if there's any way out of this unless <laughs> somebody opens their their checkbook to the players. But we'll have. To. <laughs> All right, Sue. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having for coming. Thanks, on. Jay. Yeah. I appreciate you. All right. Giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Nice chatting with you. Nice chatting with you. Thanks. That's it for today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. That way you can be told when new videos are posted. Last, don't forget about GH2 Unfiltered. I'll send you a free copy of Maximize Your Medicare to first-time subscribers. That's at www.gh2unfiltered.com where you can get my subscription site, comments that I can't release to people in public, here on the YouTube channel. Thanks.